What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dad the Band podcast. This is the only show in the world that is specifically designed with the intention of helping you to love and lead your family from the front, from this place of opportunity, passion, and excitement, fulfillment, all at the same time still pursuing your own personal professional goals as well. It's a lot to juggle, but that is the problem that we are here to solve. So whether this is your first time tuning in or if you've been here for every episode along the way, I want to thank you so much for being here today. You could spend your time doing literally anything else, but you have chosen to be here to listen to this episode. And my goal is to steward your attention well and give you a great return on your attention. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Now, before I introduce this week's guest, quick plug for our Dad the Man Facebook group. Activity within the group is growing. We've got a lot of guys in there leaning on each other, pouring into each other, sharing resources, sharing problems that we're going through together, sharing solutions to those problems. It's a totally free group, so there's no excuse for you to not join. We go through so many of the same circumstances, and we experience so many of the same issues and problems and challenges as men, husbands, and fathers. There's no point in doing it alone. So come join us in the group. You can find us on Facebook, search for Dad the Man in the group section, or you can click on the link in the show notes to this episode, wherever you are tuning in, you should be able to see the link there. So I hope to see you in there soon. And like I said, one more time, it's free. There is no excuse for you to not join. So come see us in there. So today's guest is none other than the Dr. Joe Martin. Joe Martin is an award-winning international speaker, author, and educator. He is the founder of Real Men Connect, which is his Christian coaching and mentoring program for men. He uses his unique story, which he summarizes as going from rags to riches to ruin to redemption, as the foundation upon which he serves men and helps them win at what matters most in life. Joe and I were introduced by a mutual friend, and I sure am glad that we were. turns out he actually lives right down the road from me here in Chattanooga. He's an amazing and inspiring guy with an undeniable enthusiasm and passion for his faith in Christ and bringing people along for the ride with him, and I really, really appreciate that. He's an incredible man, husband and father, and it was an honor to host him here on the show. So here's my conversation with the Dr. Joe Martin. And we are live with the founder of Real Men Connect. With us today is the one and only Dr. Joe Martin. Joe, thank you so much for making some time for us today, man. I'm so excited to have you on here. Welcome to the show. Brenda, Brenda my, my pleasure, bro. Anytime we can um, get together and talk about um, sharpening iron and sharpening the men, helping support men, I mean, it's, it's, it's a labor of love, labor of love, man. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, we, I was introduced to you through a mutual friend. I was chatting with him and uh, he said, man, you, sh- you should meet this guy, Dr. Joe. And uh, I said, where does he live? And he said, Chattanooga. And I was like, perfect. That's where I live. <laughs> so, yeah, we had we had to connect. And I know at some point down the road here, we're going we're gonna to have to catch up for, for lunch oh, or coffee. Most definitely, man. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's, let's jump right into this thing. My favorite place to wait in is to start with childhood. I want to give everybody a chance to get to know you a little bit, where you come from. And, uh, so yeah, tell us a little bit about your childhood, what you were into siblings, family dynamic, all that kind of good stuff. Well, um, I had, uh, the kind of the stereotypical upbringing of being raised in the inner city, um, hood stuff you see in the movies to see on television. I wish I could say that is, is fabricated. It's not true. No, it is true. And probably sometimes even worse 
and what you um, what you see on television in the movie. Um, a, mom, a teenage mother um, with no husband. She had two kids while she, when she was seventeen. She had, she had sixteen. Had my younger sister at seventeen. A year and twenty seven days apart, and she was by herself trying to do it. And we would lived in abject poverty, and it was just me and my sister, and we pretty much had to take care of each other and raise each other because my mom was always working. And um, you're talking about taking care of each other when we were like eight and nine years old, man. Mm-hmm. And just in a dangerous, dangerous environment. I reached age of 16, Brandon and I, I had my six friends um, murdered in front of me. And the violence was just all, so off the charts. And what's amazing now is to think that was then, and I'm in my 50s now, that was then. I can't imagine what it's like now. And it was scary when I was a kid growing up. Um, it, it was a very dangerous atmosphere. And in addition to the violence, I was exposed to things that you never want any children to be exposed to. You're talking about addiction, um, violence, crime. I mean, it was a lot of crime, man. a lot of crime. Cricket cops, um, you, you name it. Also, in the midst of all of that, I also endured abuse, um, some physical, some sexual and it was, I was suicidal from probably from the age of 12 to 16, because I mean, I just couldn't cope, couldn't deal with it. And when I was in school, I used to go to school just so I could eat um, because it got so bad that my sister sometimes used to steal food so we could eat. So it was pretty rough. It was pretty rough. And all of that, how did I move out? Let's just say barely. I mean, I wish I could tell you that, oh, I, I was strong and I was this known by just by fingernails by the grace of God just holding on just trying to survive and um, it's ironic that I, I speak to a lot of kids before I got into working with men I used to work with a lot of children all over the country all over the world basically mm-hmm. and my message to them was just to survive school survive these years I, I wanted to give them something more to go on but it, I, I knew that they couldn't hear anything else but can I make it can I survive and I was able to survive all of that to um, be able to eventually move my mom out of the projects, um, end up um, getting my PhD before I was 28, um, became the youngest professor ever hired to teach in the state of Florida at the age of 24, worked for the Florida governor's office as a communication director at the age of 26, um, started my first business at the age of 22. I'm a clothing store, um, graduated early at the top of my class from college, my undergrad degree at 20 years old. Um, oh, bought my first house when I was a senior, Brendan, in college. In college, so I, I you know, I started with rags, made it much to riches in a short period of time. And you could have never told me in a man, I could never imagine where I started. I was able to be able to move my mom out of the projects, let alone buy my own stuff a house and be able to turn my life around and break the chain of poverty in our family. So it, it's been a whirlwind, man. All right. So you said your goal in there was to, just to survive. And then immediately after school, it sounds like you really started to thrive, at least from, from a professional standpoint. Did you have any mentors in your life at that time that you were looking up to or maybe were kind of pulling you up? Like what, what was that transition like for you? No, didn't have any. <laughs> um, now, it doesn't mean I didn't have any people who believed in me. My mom believed in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had teachers at school who believed in me. But when you're in survival mode, um, you're not even looking at being mentored or being coached or anything like that. You're just trying to just make it from day to day. Mm-hmm. And so even if there were people out there who probably were good candidates for me to be a mentor, I wasn't receiving it because unless you had food <laughs> and but, you know, ironically, and I'm joking about it, but it's not really funny. 
But that's how I end up being abused because the person that stepped into my life took care of my basic needs. He was mm -hmm. a family member who told my mom, hey, don't worry, I got this, Rose. Um, I'll take care of little Joe. And he fed me and he clothed me. But I didn't realize he was prepping me and um, preparing me so he could take advantage of me and abuse me. And he sexually abused me for three years. So I didn't have, if, if, if there was a quote mentor, he was it. And you can imagine what I thought about men at that particular time of, yeah. wow, this is the first man who ever told me he loved me. My dad wasn't in my, in my house. And so um, I didn't see a father-son relationship. So this is what my introduction to what a fatherly love is about. And it was this man abusing me. And so, um, no, I didn't have mentors growing up other than he was my role model. And that was, in a very, that was a very abusive situation that really messed me up mentally, emotionally, as well as spiritually. Yeah. So rather than a good mentor, you had, a sounds like a, a really bad situation. Um, that's, oh, that's, yeah. that's bad to worse. So then what, yeah. what drove you after you graduated to, to go on to achieve all the success that, um, that you just outlined? Like, how did you make that, that switch from survival to going on to thrive? Yeah, um, initially I was about to take my life and I, I'll spare you the details of that, but I was 16 years old and, and I had one of those encounters, you know, when they said, when you, have, you had that, you cut a deal with God mm -hmm. and I was about to, to mm -hmm. kill myself and um, I had a conversation with God. I, it wasn't audible, but man, it sounded loud. It was, it was very loud, mm -hmm. but, um, and I made a promise that if he just let me make it um, to my 18th birthday, 18 was a, a, a big deal because I didn't see a lot of kids um, make it to 18 in my hood. And what I realized now that they were making it to 18, but when they were making it to 18, they got out of the hood. I didn't see them anymore. So I just assumed everybody's dying before they reach, the, reach 18. And so um, I, when I, I was about to take my life, I asked God, I said, God, just, I said, please, if you just let me make it to my 18th birthday, um, and don't let somebody else kill me because the reason I want to take my own life, because I'm seeing my friends die left and right. I, I'm going through this horrible, what I think is a horrible life. I live. And so I say, okay, God, if you don't let somebody smoke me and don't let somebody else kill me, I won't do it. Just let me make it to my 18th birthday. And I promise you that not only would I not do something like this again, because I mean, I had the gun in my hand, ready to pull the trigger and everything, man. And I said, I won't do anything like this again. I said, I would even come back and try to help others um, who may be struggling like I am. You know, I, I said it and I meant it, but I didn't know how I was gonna do that. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's when I decided not to do it. And I decided um, I was gonna join the military and um, I was gonna join the Navy. And I was gonna join the Navy and I met this military guy and he seemed to be very helpful, another mentor, um, helpful, but he was also abusive, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, when I decided I was going to join the Navy, think, okay, this is my way out. I get a, you know, join the military. I make some money. I send it home to my mom's. I can help out. But some of my friends who were in high school with me, and I, I forgot to mention this, Brandon, I went, they, they were integrating the schools at the time. So they bust me to a predominantly white school. I hadn't met a white child until I was 12. That's how segregated our neighborhood was. Liberty city, the place where I grew up in Miami, it's called Liberty city. If you ever heard of the um, video game, Grand Theft Auto. Yep. Then that then you're probably familiar with that that name, that phrase. But for people of my age, over 50, if they ever heard of two live crew, then they've heard of <laughs> they, they know about Liberty City. But um, I mean, you're talking about five high schools, two malls. I didn't meet a white child till I was 12. 
So when that's when they bust me to middle school. So I'm in high school. None of my friends who I was in my hood were graduating, at least on time. I was the only one. You're talking about maybe they're probably about maybe 60 kids who should have graduated. I was the only one that was graduating on time. Wow. And so I had my, my white friends who were graduating and I'm hearing them talk. I said, what are you going to do after you get out of, and all of them said they were going to college, which I didn't even know how to spell college. I'm thinking I ain't going to college. Right. I said, but why are all these kids going to college? And, and then I started looking at some of my friends and I'm thinking, they're not all smart. <laughs> right? yeah. I'm looking at some of my friends and I'm like, dude, I've never even seen you in school. You going to college? <laughs> right? yeah. And so I'm thinking now I'm like, maybe I, maybe I should give this college thing a try. Um, Cause there was something called financial aid. If you poor, they can help you pay for school. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I went to my recruiter and I told him, and this is where the abuse came in. He didn't, now he wouldn't call it abuse. This is what I call abuse. I asked him, I told him, I said, may I change my mind? Maybe I shouldn't join the military. Maybe I should go, um, go to college. He said, sure. Do you want to go to college? I said, yeah. He says, why? I said, because all my friends are going. I said, and he says, yeah, Joe, but your friends, they're really smart. I said, not all of them like that. Right. Yeah. I said, but they're going to college. He said, yeah, Joe. He said, but, um, your problem is a little bit more serious than your friends. I said, what's, what's my problem? He said, Joe, I've seen your SAT scores. And I'm like, and? He said, Joe, your scores are so low, they won't let you drive by college. And boy, he hit me in the gut with that one. Because basically he was telling me I'm not smart enough to go to college. Yep. And so you're asking me what happened. He is what happened, Brendan. Because there's one thing, see, I lacked, I had low self-esteem. I lacked mm -hmm. confidence. But if you ever want to motivate a child to do something, tell them what they can't do. Yeah, that pissed you off. What they won't do. You can get the laziest person and tell them you ain't going to do. And that's when they're going to, oh, I'll show you. It became, <laughs> I'll show you. And so I was so angry with this dude for telling me that, that I now decide I'm going to prove this dude wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show him. You're going to call him when you call me stupid. I may think I'm stupid, but you can't call me that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I can call me that, but you can't call me that. Yeah. And so I decided to um, try to get into college and he was half right because I got turned down by at least 30 of them. But um, they have, but there's a loophole in the education system that I try to tell students to make sure they exploit if they were like me and they were SAT challenged and ACT challenged. It's called community college. Hell, ain't anybody community college as long as you breathe. And so I was able to get into a community college. My first semester, I signed up for 17 credits, Brendan because I was stupid. Now I realize from being a professor, you don't sign up for 17 credits as an incoming freshman. That's too much. That's a lot. That's a lot. But my first semester, 4.0. That was the switch that showed me I could. Now, here's the thing, Brendan. I wasn't smarter, but I never worked so hard in my life. If I had worked that hard in high school, I probably had a full-ride academic scholarship somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I mean, I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't eat. I was... Because I'm going to show Officer Santiago he was wrong, da 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 And boy, four point on that first semester. And I told you, I ended up, um, I ended up um, graduating there with my AA degree. Mm -hmm. And I was offered academic scholarships to some of the top universities in the South. This same person who was turned down by at least 30 colleges. And I told you the rest of the story that not only did I graduate early, mm -hmm. at the top of my class out of 10,000 students, I made history in the state of Florida by becoming the youngest professor ever hired to teach in the state of Florida at age 24. Wow. But it all started with this, this dude challenging me, telling me what I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not the best motivation to use on someone, but it'll work. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it worked on me because it could have destroyed me, I guess. But it really made me believe, oh, I'm going to show this dude. And by the way, I got a copy of my um, uh, my report card that that first about, and I sent it to him. Now, I won't <laughs> tell you what I I won't tell you what I wrote on it because I'm a Christian now. <laughs> so I can't tell you the language that I use. But I, I, had, I had some choice words for him when I sent him the copy of that that report card. Yeah. And so but that was the thing that started. It just made me believe in myself. And then I just think, oh, success isn't about your IQ. It's about your I will. Mm-hmm. So I just believe I can outwork everybody. You know, no yep. different if you see athletes, you know, they'll tell, you know, um, God rest his soul, um, Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. This dude would get up like four in the morning because he yep. knew it. Most people wouldn't get up until six. So he had two hours to get in extra practice. He says over time, two hours a day every day for over years, he's going to be that farther ahead of everybody else. Yep. And that is, so I just out where everybody's partying in school, even my roommate, they're partying in school. I was on my grind, man. I was so focused mm-hmm. and I just, man, I outworked everybody to the point that everybody thought something, even my, my dad came back in my life later. And now, you know, this is bad when your parents says, don't you think you're working a little bit too hard in school? <laughs> he was telling me he's like dude maybe you need to relax and chill a little bit i'm like what yeah. <laughs> now, you the parents don't tell their their kids that they'll say keep working hard keep working my dad was like you got to have a life bro come on now, you slow yeah. down and that's what it was i was just so boom 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 boom, boom going mm-hmm. after it so you get lit on fire by this guy who says that you can't do it so your right. your motivation is really i'm gonna prove this guy wrong so I, wrong. that's effective, right? That works. That's gasoline on the fire. But it's, but it's only temporary. Right. Yeah, only that's temporary. where I want to go. Where did that lead you? Did that lead you with, maybe with a lot of energy in, in a fruitless direction? Like, tell us a little bit about where you went from there. Yeah. After that, I realized that wasn't the greatest motivation because, okay, now where's the fire? He's gone now. He's out of my system. I've, I got a, now a semester under my belt. I'm getting ready. To, he knows I've sent him my report card. Yeah, you sent him the report my, card. Yeah. So what's my motivation now? What became my motivation was exposure. Uh, I started meeting people because you got to understand, I grew up in the hood. So I didn't, I, I didn't know there were black professors. I didn't know there were black engineers and doctors and, um, you know, I didn't know. And so now I'm in this environment that I'm meeting these people in their environment. My dad came back in my life. He was one of the guys who introduced me to these people. That's a whole story. My dad wasn't even there. I didn't, my dad until I was a young adult. And so, but he exposed me to people who were success, quote, successful, I'm putting it in air quotes, successful, who were educated, um, making a lot of money, making a good living, owned their businesses. And I, I, I'd never seen anything like that. The only person I know who owned their own business was usually drug dealers and, you know, gangbangers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw this new reality, I saw myself in that reality thinking, hey, if they can do it. So can I, so it switched off from that recruiter to now I want to be like these people mm-hmm. and whatever it takes, I'm going to take that same effort I did to prove this guy wrong. Now I'm going to find out what it takes to do right. And I'm going to work my butt off until I get to where I want to go. And that's how I started doing it. So I switched off to a negative, what they call it? Negative reinforcement to positive motivation. And go. so it became me seeing it because, you know, when I was an educator, I used to always teach, they said, they used to always ask me, said, um, Professor Martin, why do you always dress up? I, used to, I always dressed up in a suit and tie when I when I taught. You know, you have seen you seen professors. They come in jeans sometimes, t-shirt. They don't care. They like they didn't bathe. Well, I would dress as if I was going to like I was working with a Fortune 500 company. 
Mm-hmm. And they were asking me, and I was a young professor too. I'm talking about in my 20s. They said, why are you always, why are you dressing up so much? I said, because I, how would I expect you to be successful if you don't see what success looks like? And I said, first of all, you, aren't you worth it? I'm dressing up so one, because I, this is my job and I love it. And I'm passionate about it. But at the same time, I need to show you that success isn't always rappers and entertainers and people who are doing it. No, some people actually take their job seriously. So I became an example. I wanted to be an example for them to see because that's what I saw and what I aspired to. So I wanted to be that for my students. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about, is there anybody that comes to mind maybe who really showed up for you as an influence in your life? You know, just thinking back, your, your dad wasn't necessarily that guy, the, the man who you had, um, you were abused by, wasn't that guy, your recruiter in the military was definitely not that guy. But you're saying there's, there were guys that you now could look up to. Who were some of the examples that maybe you had in your life to show you what a real man looks like? Oh, they, they, I would, let me qualify that. Not what a real man was, but a successful male. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. I became a successful male, but I wasn't a successful man. See, you're a male by birth, but you're a man by choice. I still hadn't become a man yet. I just became a male who started achieving a lot of success. Mm-hmm. See, I, 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 that was one of the biggest ahas that I realized and I didn't know. I saw people who owned property, who um, had money, stocks, and all this stuff. To me, I thought that was a success. Success to me was based on your occupation, your level of education. I call it the Asians. Education, your compensation. <laughs> your reputation, even your level of intimidation. And I saw that, and it wasn't just one person, all the males that I came across that I saw, because when you're on a college campus, you get to meet a lot of different males. Right. And But that's what I knew they had in common. So I figured if I had that, I'll become successful too. And I achieved all of that. So I had achieved all the stuff I ever wanted to achieve by the time I reached the age of 30, but I lost it all by the time I reached the age of 40. And the reason why I lost all, because I was a successful male. I was succeeding as a male, but I was failing as a man because I had gotten married at 22 years old. Remember, I graduated at 20, mm-hmm. got married at 22 years old. So I married, um, um, I guess she was a senior high school, but I was a freshman. So her, I guess she was, that uh, we my um, childhood sweetheart mm-hmm. and I married her and I had no clue how to be a husband, had no clue how to be uh, a father. I ended up having a son. I didn't know that. Now I could tell you how to buy a house. I can tell you how to vest. I can tell you how to succeed on your job. I can, t- I can tell you how to um, lead other people because I learned from some of the best on how to achieve those things. But I never saw a real man as a husband, as a father, and a spiritual leader of his home. That didn't happen until I lost everything. So I, I, so I guess I'm hoping I'm answering your question. No, I didn't see any successful men. Yeah, I saw a lot of successful males. Now, it doesn't mean that they were bad men. I didn't know that part of them. Right. No, And they never told me about that part of their life. Nobody ever bragged about how great a husband they were or a great father they were. All mm-hmm. I know is that they were they were highly educated. They showed me how to get my degrees. I got mm-hmm. more degrees in the thermometer now. They showed me how to make money. Sure, I was making over a quarter million dollars when I was in my 20s. You know, I knew how to make money. I knew how to get an education. I knew how to get to the top of a profession. But I didn't know how to lead, spiritually lead a family. I didn't know how to love my wife. I was doing it by trial and error. I wasn't a bad husband. I just was not, a, I just wasn't a godly husband. Yeah. And I didn't know that until I lost everything. So you lose everything. If you put a pin right there, then you fast forward to where we are now, you're leading other men and teaching them how to do it. How'd yeah. you figure this whole thing out? Well, uh, unfortunately the hard way, because um, 
I lost a 16-year marriage due to my infidelity and my porn and sex addiction. And Brandon, I, the way I describe it, I don't even like to just say, oh, I was unfavorable to my wife because I, there's a, I got to put myself in a different category. I was what they call a serial adulterer. And that word doesn't exist. So don't even try to go look it up. It doesn't, I had to make it up. <laughs> and they said, what, why, why'd you call it a serial adulterer when you lose track of the bodies? When you've done it so many times that you can't even remember how many times you've done it and you can't even remember who you've done it with. And so even to this day, now I'm so far removed from that now, but if a woman came up to me right now, Brandon, just ring my doorbell and claims that I slept with her, I got to believe, I got to take her word for it. I won't even remember. I won't. I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't on none. Of, I wasn't under the influence. Just totally out there, to the point that you think no way this guy could ever recover from this. Mm-hmm. And my ex-wife couldn't recover from that. She has. She was a virgin when I met her. Now imagine she married her childhood sweetheart, and not only does he cheat on her, but with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women. I mean, I wasn't um. What do you call it? Um, Will Chamberlain, but I could have been his apprentice. It was horrible. And you're talking about something. It, it took me a long time to get over that just to forgive myself for that. Because even though God had forgiven me and even she managed to later on forgive me, I had a hard time forgiving myself for doing that. And so I end up losing um, everything. And then I think my life is over because how do you go from nothing, having it all to losing it all? The only thing I had left after that marriage was joint custody of my son. Yeah. Lost my health. I almost lost my health, but lost my wealth. Um, and just, it, it was devastating. But then I met a man. Now you mentioned a mentor. I met a man for the first time in my life who was a godly man. Mm-hmm. And I met him through his son, ironically, who I was speaking at a college, lecturing at a university. And I met him and um, he bought a book, one of our books for his dad. And his dad eventually ended up calling me and we ended up building a relationship. I'm giving you, I'm just, I'm not even doing the story justice, but ended up building a relationship with me. And now we're going into year 17 of that relationship. He's been my spiritual father since then. Now I've added now five other men to my life. So I got six fathers now, but Howard was the first who changed my life. And he texts me every single day, every single, he has eight kids, Brandon. (laughs) Yeah, it's That's eight. amazing. And I told him when I, when I remember when I met him after I met him and I spent time with him, I said, Howard, I know you got eight kids, but would you adopt just one more? Man? Just <laughs> one more. And with tears in his eyes, he agreed and accepted it. And I, um, I went up under his wing and he discipled me. He mentored me. And he's one of the biggest supporters of what I do now. You imagine how proud he is yeah. to see this guy who get, cause he didn't think he didn't know anything was wrong with my life. He just knew, well, my son heard him lecture at his college and he said he was from Liberty City because he um, worked in Miami. He worked in Liberty City. Gotcha. So he didn't think a guy could make it out of Liberty City and do what I'm doing at the time, but he didn't know I had blew up my life. And so here he's looking at this man who he saw had made more money than he did, was more educated, but yet I was broken. And I told him I had no idea how to be a man. And I humbled myself and asked him to, to help me. And he did. And like they say, the rest is history. And so now I remember asking Howard, I said, Howard, um, this is probably in about year seven. I said, man, what could I ever do to repay you, man, to, for what you've done? I said, man, you changed my life, right? Because I got, now my, I got my family. Now I got, a, uh, I got married again. 
Mm-hmm. I now have a daughter. You know, my life has been restored. So everything I lost, I back again when I, by the time I got to 50 years old. And I remember asking, I said, How, what can I do to repay you? And he says, Joe, you don't owe me anything. He said, but just do one thing for me. I said, what's that? He says, go make disciples. I'm like, what? what do you mean make disciples? He says, I said, what do you mean make disciples? Isn't that for like super spiritual people? Like they said, no. He said, what do you think I've done with you? He said, I just discipled you. I mentored you. I coached you. He says, I want you to do the same for other guys who think they have it all or mm-hmm. want to have it all, but they're losing. They're struggling and they want to win at what matters most. He said, Joe, I want you to help those men. Now, he thought I was going to do like one off, like, you know, help this person. I'll help Brendan out. Okay, what do I do? Brendan, answer your question. He had no idea I was going to build a whole career in an organization that's now global that goes around the world helping men win at what matters most when it comes to um, their relationship with God, when it comes to relationship with their wife and the children, when it comes to um, the relationships on their jobs, when it comes to their relationships um, in their social circles, and also getting help for their traumatic past and dealing with some of the pain like I had to deal with that was really the, the source of me causing pain to my wife it was really because of my own woundedness that, oh, by the way, Brandon, she didn't know about when I married her that I was sexually abused for three years. Wow. She didn't know any of that. I kept all that from, because why, why does she need to know that if I'm already successful? Yeah. She don't need to know my past. Mm-hmm. All she needs to know is I'm right now in the present and I'm good. That's what I thought. I was yep. good, but I was still wounded. And so, yeah. So how it started at all. How'd you start to unpack that trauma? You just said you were, you were hiding it. You were stuffing it down for a long time. And I know everything fell apart on you. How did you actually start to unpack that, to pull that out, to realize this is a real source. This is causing real problems in my life. How did you work? Well, it took, that? it took my marriage ending. That's what, yeah. and, and I'm sorry to say that because I could have prevented my marriage from ending if I would have addressed it sooner. Mm-hmm. But because, but I, I look at it, you ever seen anybody at a pool and they try to um, sit on top of a beach ball and they push it underneath the water? <laughs> you, you can push it under the water for a while, but eventually it's going to pop up. And the farther you push it down, the higher it's going to pop out of the water. So imagine me getting married. I'm sitting on a beach ball mm-hmm. and she's asking me questions, but I'm not, I don't have, no, what are you talking about? Aren't you sitting on something? No, no, nothing. You sure? <laughs> then out of the blue, this thing pops up out of the water. And so it wasn't because um, I was smart. If anything, I was, um, I was naive thinking that I can just brush this aside and, and it's not going to mean anything. And so it wasn't until I hit rock bottom to realize that if I don't address this now, I'm going to take this into my next relationship. Mm-hmm. So I ended up um, going through a recovery group for seven years, seven years. Wow. Now, you don't have to be in a recovery group that long, but because I was in it, I loved it because I never got to talk about my trauma that way. And mm-hmm. um, so I was, it was great. And the only reason it stopped after seven years, because that's when I moved up. That's when I met um, my wife who I'm currently married to now. Um, also, I went through counseling for three years after my divorce. Um, mm-hmm. I went to counseling trying to save our marriage. That didn't work. She's like, I'm done. I'm out of here. But I continued to go to counseling for three years. And so it wasn't that I had the hindsight or the wisdom to get the help. That's what I'm trying to tell men now. You don't have to lose it all before you come to your senses. What I'm telling you, if you are hurting, if you have had some past trauma, you can try to bury the past all you want to, but if you're going to bury something, you better make sure it's dead. 
because it's going to be like a, a zombie in a scary movie. It's going to keep coming back. I mean, I thought I buried that thing, Brandon. That hand was coming out of the <laughs> I'm like, that thing, I can't kill this thing. I cannot, you cannot, you cannot just outrun it. The only way you're going to kill your past is to expose it and, 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 and hit it and attack it with truth and kill it with truth. Mm-hmm. And now my ex-wife who I married, uh, I mean, my wife who I'm married to now, she knows about this. My kids know about this. Now I'm healthier now to deal with this stuff. Uh, so it, it wasn't that I knew better. It's just that I got, it took me getting hit in the face and knocked down, bloody, beat up to say, okay, I got to do something. What, what does Dr. Phil say? How's this working out for you? It wasn't. And I need <laughs> to do something different. And I finally did. Yeah, man, your story, it's, it's so cool to me to think back to what you were saying at the beginning on the brink of suicide, loaded gun, age 16, you make a deal with God and you say, just get me to 18 and I'm going to help other people. And then you fast forward and Howard comes into your life and you ask him, Hey, how can I repay you for really saving me here in my life? And he just says, go make more disciples. And that has sent you on this path with, I mean, that's what you do. You, like you said, you built a career around this helping, helping men. You've got real men connect. Um, it's, it's amazing to me. I love stories like this when you see God working through other people in our lives. And it's, and, and now that you're getting to work, you know, God's getting to work through you in other people's lives as well. It's just, it's a phenomenal illustration. And it's, I love that, that essence of the story. If you don't mind, I'd love to hear you unpack a little bit about Howard and some of the particular lessons that you learned from him, something maybe a little bit more tactical that the guys listening can take away and say, okay, man, how Howard did this. This is what I learned. This is what I do now because of him. Yeah, what Howard did for me, he redefined manhood for me. He didn't know what he was. I I hate to say he didn't know what he was doing. He knew what he was doing, but he didn't know exactly the impact it was having on me. Let's put it Mm -hmm. that way. Because he was intentional about, okay, this dude does not know how to be a husband. He does not know how to be a father, even though he's highly educated and everything. So, okay, I would just let him observe my life. And so I got to watch watch his life. And now- the way I'm going to explain it to you, he would not explain it this way because also I'm, I'm analytical. I'm, I'm a little bit OCD. You know, I like things to be structured in, in a particular way. I got to make sense of things. I think one reason why men are attracted to what we do because they say I make things so practical and so basic because I used to teach also, I used to teach first graders. <laughs> so you have to make things very practical for six and seven year olds, you know? Mm-hmm. And so Howard would say, wow, that's what you learned from me. I didn't, he, he wouldn't even recognize that's what he was doing, but that's how I make sense of things. So I can understand things. And this is what I pulled and extrapolated from, from what I learned from Howard. Um, I had to redefine manhood. And what I realized is that not that Howard was defining manhood, what he was doing is exhibiting the true sense of what a man is, but it wasn't that Howard came up with this. What he was doing is imitating Christ to me. Now, I would think he would want to know, wow, I hope I was imitating Christ to Joe, but I wasn't doing that intentionally for him to watch it. I would just let that come out of me naturally. But I noticed. And so even though Howard was the, um, was the person delivering this, I knew that he wasn't the source. What he was doing is he was imitating Christ but he was doing it in a way to his family. I had never noticed and watched and I'm taking notes. Okay. Okay. And this is what I took. I wish how could listen to this and he'll say, wow, Joe, that's what you got. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but this is what I got from watching Howard. 
from being able, because I, I actually got to hang around him and his kids and his family and his wife. So yeah. I got to watch this stuff. And I learned what a real man, the man a real man is not about the Asians. And we said mm -hmm. occupation, compensation, education, reputation, intimidation. Uh-uh. Howard didn't demonstrate that. What I saw is number one, and what he was imitating Christ, that Howard, um, he led his, fa his family spiritually. He led them. And what I mean by lead them, and I just now again, I'm breaking it down because this is what I saw. When I was at his house and I was with him, I had to stay with him for five days when I was down there on a speaking engagement and I got to watch him that I noticed that they would do family devotionals, right? And every kid would read. Now he's got eight kids, five boys, three girls. I mean, at that time they were, I think Brandon was, I mean, it's funny. He's got, he has the oldest son, his name, Brandon. Oh, nice. um, I think he was the oldest, probably about at the time it was about 23, 24 in the house mm -hmm. and his daughter's youngest daughter's like maybe six right oh, but man. all of them would read and they would share and he let me be included in it right i'm like whoa they would have dinner all had to talk about now not on on thanksgiving they all had to talk about what they were thankful for mm. while they're getting ready to have dinner okay wow all right when it was time for them to go to bed he would go spend time in each of their rooms to do say prayer. And he asked me to come along with him to pray with him, him and his kids. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was weird. First time I saw it and I'm thinking this can't be real. What kind of family does this kind of stuff? But he did it all five days. Yeah. Hmm. So a man, a, I like this man, this man leads his family. He's teaching them. He's trained up his sons. This is what you do. When you have kids and a wife, daughters, your husband should be doing this. He didn't say that, Brandon. I can just see it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what would his sons do now when they get married? They're going to do this. And I'm watching. I'm the oldest person there, right? I'm the oldest, quote, kid. <laughs> yeah. And I'm in my late 30s. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, that's what. So I don't do that. I didn't do that with my ex-wife and my son. I need to start doing that. Are you following? He's mm -hmm. leading his family spiritually. Nothing I noticed that I would watch Howard. Again, Christ did that. His family was the disciples. We always think family is flesh and blood. No, it's whoever you spend most of your time with is your family who has access to you. And they get to see you in your, your, your most vulnerable moments. That's your family, whoever they may be. They don't have to be blood related to be your family. Check out gang members. Look at um, police officers, military. Football players, they ain't flesh and blood, but they call themselves a family. You know, so it's the same thing. But I, here's another thing I noticed, though, that he loved and served others sacrificially. Now, you say, well, who doesn't do that? Well, a lot of people don't love and serve. They love, love selfishly for ulterior motives. But what I noticed about Howard is that was, at home, I'm seeing him being very loving and nurturing to his wife and his kids. Okay, that's natural. But I didn't get it until he went to work because I was also speaking at his school. Mm -hmm. So I get to see him in this home element where everybody thinks he's the bomb. Oh, how mm -hmm. oh, they're very respectful. The kids are respectful. They love it on his kids and da, 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 da. he's loving and serving them and everything that sacrifice. That's what a parent's supposed to do. I got to get that part. But it wasn't until I saw him at work when I saw him become a servant. To me, he was the most important man at his house, mm -hmm. but he took the lowest position when he went to work. 
he taught kid, middle school kids, mm -hmm. when they would walk into his room, he would address them, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. His principal was a female who was young enough to be his daughter. Yes, ma'am. That's interesting. He always took a little bit, everything he do, it was to serve and support other people. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, that's different. Because usually if you're the man, you're the boss, you demand respect. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to respect you. Yeah. He was giving it so freely to other people. He made, when he would hold conversation with people, he would put them in the spotlight. And he would just, I, I, it was just amazing. Even now, it's been years, I, I'm still, still marvel at it because I'm still striving to be that kind of man. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. But yep. I saw it. I saw it. Jesus was that way. Loved and served others sacrificially, right? Even to the cross for believers. Mm -hmm. There's another thing I noticed about Howard too, that he was leaving a legacy behind. He was conscious of a leg leaving a legacy. In other words, something that's going to outlast him. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about money. You know, it did tell you generational wealth, leave generational wealth. Who whoever talks about leaving generational faith, what I saw is when he wasn't around, how his kids would talk, how his wife would talk. And as if they were, it's like they were him. If it's like what he did, I saw it reproduce in his family. His sons were the most respectful, you know, and they were loving. I'm like, what? they're learning that from their dad. And I'm thinking, if you take Howard out of the picture, they're still going to do okay without him. And I'm like, wow, this dude is leaving something behind for his kids to, to aspire to. His, his daughters to marry that kind of husband. His sons to become that kind of man. His wife, wow, I won't settle for any man less than what I had in Howard. So he was leaving this legacy. And I'm thinking, what would I leave behind if I died tonight? And I'm thinking, money in a, in a bank account? But would they talk about my God? Would they talk about serving and leading sacrificially, unselfishly, kindness, gentleness, passion. So I'm thinking, wow. So that's what a real man does. And the last thing, and I told you that I alluded to this earlier, which I realize now is the key to all of this. Not only did I see um, Howard um, love and serve others sacrificially um, and lead others spiritually and leave a, a legacy of faith behind. Here's the fourth thing I noticed. He taught others how to do it too. You got to help the next come along. I ain't talking about just his kids. I saw him do it at school. I saw him doing it in the community. He was raising up. He did it with me. Think about it. Something happens to how right now, Brendan, you are benefiting for what he deposited in me. Do you mm -hmm. realize if I didn't meet this man, you and I would not be talking right now. Yep. I would not be reaching to your listeners. Do you realize they will never meet Howard? But his impact is being felt right now. Mm -hmm. A real man, not only is a legacy of faith, he trains up the next generation to do the exact same type of work. That's what Jesus did with the disciples. Mm -hmm. His last words to the disciples wasn't go build more churches, go recruit more church members, go heal the sick, feed the poor. That's the important stuff. But Jesus, that wasn't his last words. Guess what his last words were? Go make disciples of all the nations. Teach them to observe, observe, you got to see, observe what I've taught you, what I've commanded you, what you've seen in me, now go teach others to do the same. I've prayed with you. I've showed you how to pray. I've showed you how to serve. I showed you how to forgive. 
I showed you how to support one another. I showed you how to weep with one another, how to rejoice with one another. I laughed together. I, I laughed with you. I cried with you. We did all this. Together. Now go do the same and take it to the ends of the earth. What I saw was Howard imitating Christ. And I was able to extrapolate these things and say, okay, now, Joe, you must do the same in your family. And hopefully that's what I'm teaching other men to do. Because when you think about it, when it, when it comes to making an impact, it's not about addition, it's about multiplication. Mm. And you want to know if you're being effective, remove you from the picture, will it still grow? See, if you remove me from the picture and it stops, then we were just adding. Mm -hmm. But if you remove me from the picture and it still keeps growing exponentially, multiplication. And that's legacy. And that's legacy. It has to multiply. I mean, Jay-Z can leave all the money in the world to his kids, but they, they go through it and they don't have it. That was a multiplication. You just add it to their bank account, but there was a multiplication. Mm -hmm. Unless that money continues to grow even without Jay-Z being around. Mm -hmm. You know, so to me that, but in the kingdom, guess what? The money's not going to matter. But a legacy of faith will always matter in eternity. That's, and that's what good. I'm hoping that I'm building with my family. That's a good word. And you kind of led me into my last question. I, I ask everybody on the show what they want their legacy to be with their kids. And I usually go through a short little spiel, framing it up in a way to steer it away from general generational wealth. Like all the things that we hear, everything that you just said, it's not. But I'd be curious to hear through, in the context of you as a father with your kids, your, your, your son, your daughter, what do you want your legacy to be with the two of them specifically? Boy, I, I tell you, it, I'm not more, I'm not as concerned about my legacy other than that they will continue what I've started, which is if I will consider, you know, I've, I've talked to my son, my son and I are really close. And my daughter's not my biological daughter, but I treat her no different than I treat my own son. But you know, a connection with a father and the son is different than a father and daughter. Mm -hmm. they're, you, they're different because that boy is looking to you to say, okay, this is the kind of man I want to be. Mm -hmm. And um, my son is always, and my daughter's the same way. They always want to please me. They want my approval, my acceptance. You know how kids are. You got young mm -hmm. kids, Brandon. Yep. They all, daddy, look at this, daddy. Look at this. Look at this. Daddy, you see me? They want that million attention. Times they want that affirmation. Yeah. Yep. And so, trust me, Brandon, even when as they get older, they don't outgrow that. If they respect you, they never outgrow it. Now, if they don't respect you, they ain't looking at you. No, but, <laughs> but if they respect you, they still want your approval to know what do you think? Well, my son, I've been trying to say, Kendall, it's not about me. Don't stop thinking about and don't try to impress me. You know, I'm going to love you regardless, whether you become the CEO or you, you know, you're, you know, you're a homeless person. It don't matter to me. I'm going to love you because you're my son, not because of what you do and what you achieve. You know, God loves us not because of our status, because we're his children. And that's how I love my son and my daughter. I want them to know that. But my son always goes, Daddy, what do you think? Daddy, what do you, you know, are you disappointed in me, Daddy? He, he just, he's so concerned. He's 26. You know, and he still is trying to get dad's approval. But I did yeah. tell him this. This is to answer your question. And I would say this, and I, and I would say this to my daughter as well. I said, Kendall, and my daughter's name is Faith. I said, you don't have to impress me. There's nothing you can do to impress me anyway. You can become the richest man in the world. I'm not impressed. Um, if you fail miserably, quote, based on society standards, I'm not going to think less of you. I'm going to love you regardless. 
I said, so you don't, don't keep striving to please me. I said, but if I had to be totally honest with you, there is one thing, and I'm scared to tell you. I said, and I, I said, and I said, this goes for your sister too. But if you really wanted to impress me, if you love God half as much as I do, I can die in peace. That's all. Brandon, you know what I want to leave behind for my kids? And I don't care about anything else. I just want them to love Jesus. Half. Half as much as I do. I ain't going to put that unrealistic expectation of loving as much as I do. Just half. I don't care about anything else. They don't even have to have a long life, Brendan. You got parents holding on their kids so doggone tight. I don't care if my kids die next week. Do they love Jesus? Brandon, you got to feel I can't articulate in words. You have what I want to leave behind. You don't have any idea. Nothing matters to me. Nothing. They could hate me. They could hate me. Just love him. Brandon, you don't know how bad I want this. I want it so bad it scares me. God, is it healthy to want something that bad? I wanted this more than getting out of the projects. I wanted more than move my mom out of the hood. I wanted more than eating. I never wanted something so bad in my life, Brandon. Oh, for them to know Jesus to fall in love with him more than they love me, more than they love their moms, more than anything. Because that kind of, they see me with that kind of love and it, it baffles them that I love God more than them. And they know how much I love them. Mm-hmm. They don't understand it. That's what I want them to understand. When you love him more than anything, oh, I would give anything for that, even my own life, for them to love him. That's what I want to leave behind. But the only way I can do that is by being an example of it. Amen. There ain't nothing I can give them. I can't give it to them. But I can show them what that love for God looks like that they just might pursue him that way. That's all, I, that's all I want. I don't want, it ain't about their safety. It ain't about my having grandkids. I want my kids to be safe. I want to see grandkids. Not more than I want them to love Jesus. There's nothing, Brandon, nothing. Can't speak for every other parent out there. What is more important than them loving Jesus? Tell me. I'll wait. To me, there's nothing more important than that. That's what I want to leave behind. That's what I'm seeing with Howard's kid. I see it. They love Jesus. People always ask me all the time, Brandon, what if something happens to Howard? But you can be devastated. I say, no, I'm not. They say, I say, oh, I'm going to weep. I'm going to cry because I've known Howard a long time. He made an impact in my life. I said, I'm blessed. 
The fact that I got a chance to meet him and know him. That's why I don't want anything to happen to my kids. But I put in some quality time with them. I have no regrets with my kids. So I would want them to have long lives, but if they not, I'll still praise God for the time I had with them. But boy, I want them to love Jesus. That's what I want to leave behind for them. Amen, brother. I've got chill bumps over here. That's a good word. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you expressing that. That's, um, that's convicting personally uh, for myself. So, man, I'm just, I, you're a treasure, Joe. It's, a, it's been an absolute blessing to have you on here. And uh, man, thank you so much for making the time for us. Joe, where's the best place for people to find you, follow you, learn more about you? Oh, it's easy, Brandon. All you have to do is go to Real Men Connect. Think about this. What do real men do? They connect. Howard connected with me. He inspired me to connect with other people. Um, we had a mutual friend who connected us. Real Men Connect. So to go to realmenconnect.com and everything they want to find out about us, they can go there. And if they even want to connect with me personally, all you have to do is go to realmenconnect.com forward slash call and they can set a call and we can chat. That's realmen, realmenconnect.com forward slash call. C-A-L-L. Awesome. We will link it all up in the show notes. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Joe, thank you so, so much for blessing us today, brother. Uh, looking forward to grabbing that lunch or cup of coffee soon, by the way. Oh, must do, Brandon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, brother. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See ya.